Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Clashing Sabers Network. Here we go again. Chewie. We're home. I bypassed the compressor. You were the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. Ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I'm here with my co-host. He's got the brains of tech and the soul of the ancients. It's <laughs> Devor. Hello. Devor, so glad again to have you as a, uh, a new member of our Clashing Sabers family. Um, and it's been a lot of fun having you on the show, and I'm excited to talk tonight about uh, some of the Bad Batch. But tonight, we also get to make a special introduction and a fine addition to our Clashing Sabers collection, if you will. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Amanda Curtis. Hey, are you planning to put me on your shelf or something? Yeah, yeah. I got Part a, of a collection? Yeah, I've got, I've got a nice little <laughs> spot for you right in the corner. You can sit right like next to my okay. Boba Fett Funko Pop. Yeah. I'll be sure to wear my Ahsoka getup. It'll fit with the aesthetic. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, no, guys, Amanda is officially part of our, uh, our Clashing Sabers crew and is going to be managing our Patreon going forward. So that is really exciting. We are working on some really special stuff for that platform, including some exclusive shows that you can all get by uh, donating and supporting our mission to put Star Wars books into classrooms. So... With that, I also wanted to give a special shout out to everyone who supported our Book Batch fundraiser that just ended this week. Whether you did that financially or just by spreading the word, we were able to raise $1,235 this year, which is just absolutely phenomenal and is going to put over 200 books into the hands of kids, uh, which is is really exciting. And Amanda, you and I actually met through the nonprofit as you were one of the teachers who received a box. And uh, that's great to start with, but it's made it even better when you consider the fact that you have a, a deaf ed classroom that we were really uh, happy to be able to support. So can you share with us just kind of how getting the box impacted your classroom and your students? It has been so fun. I wasn't sure how they were going to receive this. Um, my kids are, they are in my room as kind of a resource setting. So reading is not always their strength, but they love, they still love books. And just watching them read, they just gravitated towards these books without me even really doing anything. I just put them out and they were just all around the Star Wars books that I have. The other ones got a little dusty, actually, I think. But um, <laughs> I had <laughs> I had uh, one girl, she would open up this one book that uh, has a collection of stories, but she always opened up to the same page, and it's with Leia, and it says, I am a princess. And every day she would read, I am a princess. And that may be the only sentence she read all day on her own, but she could read that, that sentence. I had another one. This one cracked me up, too. Um, another book has a cutaway of the Falcon. And it shows some of the, the people in there. And she was describing to me what she liked about it, what she was seeing. And she said something. I'm trying to – I think she said something about a gorilla. And I was like, a gorilla? 
gorilla. And then she said brown. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you're talking about Chewbacca, not a gorilla. <laughs> but they just, they love them. That's the first time I've heard a Wookiee referred to as a gorilla. I've heard, you know, dog, you know, stuff like that. But a gorilla, oh, man, that's that's good. It, it fits. It fits. No, that's really awesome. And, uh, you know, if you if you guys are listening and you know a teacher or uh, you have a the ability to go on the Internet and just randomly pick a teacher, uh, we have I have literally have three boxes of books um, already that I am ready to start shipping out to, to campuses and teachers. So if you know anybody, please follow the link in the show notes. Go to ClashingSabers.net and nominate a teacher. Um it's called nominate, but everybody who who is submitted gets a box, and um, I really want to start shipping some of those out uh, as soon as possible because we are uh, desperately in need of getting books into hands of kids, and I know all of us on the show uh, have been positively affected by Star Wars books, and we want to be able to do that more for for other people. So, uh, on that note, Devore, I've never really asked you this. Did you grow up with Star Wars books? Like, re- did you grow up reading Star Wars? In a manner of speaking, so when I was a kid, my main exposure to the Star Wars books really consisted of the reference books. So, like, the OG, the incredible cross-sections, the visual dictionaries. And so I remember just, like, flipping through those pages and looking at all the little, you know, the ship specs and reading all the character details. It was mostly that as opposed to, like... You know, in-universe stories, that really came kind of more in recent years when I sort of dove into the new canon books. Okay, so yeah. See, and I I was, I'm sure I've talked about this on the show before, but I was always forced to read things other than Star Wars um, because of the AR program, and I had to make my AR goal before I could read any of my Star Wars books. So I'm like woefully behind on Legends, and with every Legends book I read, I wonder if that's a good thing or a bad thing, um, <laughs> because the the highs are very high and the lows the lows are Shadow of Mindor um, or Mordor. No, Mindor. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's it's just it's it's an interesting bunch. Devor, what what Star Wars book would you say? whether it was something from the past or something you've read recently, like, do you feel like most affected you either personally or you as your fandom? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, um, I'm going to go with a more recent one, uh, particularly read in the last year. And I'm going to go with brotherhood by Mike Chen. Like that book really, really hit in a way that, I mean, there have, of course, you know, there have been a whole bunch of Star Wars books that have been written in the past couple of years that have been really good and ones that I've really enjoyed. But, like, just in terms of, like, a kind of personal, re- like, reverb with the characters and the story, like, probably nothing hit like that since maybe reading Lost Stars. Like, it was just, it, the story's so good. The new characters that are introduced in the book, like, Mill Alabath, like, such a great character. Like, that Anakin in there, like, Brotherhood Anakin is probably the best Anakin, I would make that case, that we get. It's just, it it was a book that, yeah, just, like, it hit me like a thunderclap. Yeah, that book, oh, man. It's it's ridiculous how good that is. Um, And 
and I just have to say, like, Mike Chen is the coolest dude ever. Like, he, so he helped us out with the fundraiser, donated a, a signed copy of Brotherhood. And normally, you know, I get them, I ship them out for everybody and everything like that. He's like, no, man, let me personalize it for whoever wins it. All right, cool. Awesome. So I go, let me know how much shipping is. He goes, don't worry about shipping. Just, I'm taking a copy out of my own thing. I'm paying for it. Like, support support you guys. And I was just blown away. So it's cool when you have a piece of content that is, is as good as Brotherhood is. And it becomes even better when you realize the people behind it are so fantastic. You know, um, and, and you kind of understand why they're able to in a way write these heroes that that we gravitate towards um because of their humanity you know like that's something in brotherhood both with anakin and obi-wan you see their heart you see their humanity um which you know can kind of at times get lost in the whole you know fall of vader and everything like that we we tend to look at the tragic side of their relationship and and forget how good they were for one another and how supportive they were of one another and everything like that. And so it makes sense that a book like that would be as impactful as it is. So, uh, Amanda, do you have one? Do you have a particular book that has... (sighs) Try through what I've read. I read very quickly. And I'm just... I have a recency bias problem because of that. Um, Most recently, Path of Deceit just blew me away. Um, it's stayed I, yeah. with me in a way that other books haven't. So I would probably incline towards that right now. But if I had a list going, I could probably pick something else off of it. The real answer, and both of you were wrong in this regard, is Inferno Squad. Um, <laughs> that's that's it. That's It's the first book I ever finished and um, considered immediately rereading. Um Aiden Versio, to me, is just one of the most compelling um, characters that exists. And I love, and this is something we're kind of getting explored in canon a little bit more, is this idea of when someone's moral compass is right, but they are, you know, pointing it in the wrong direction. And that's something that we had with Aiden, where she had the right ideals, she had the right morals, but she was blinded by the propaganda of the empire and and those those influences were pointed in the wrong direction and i loved one that you know we got her redemption story and everything like that but i love that christy golden gave us a book where you didn't see the full redemption and yet you were still happy with where she ended up and you were uh compelled to see more of her story and still believe in her, even though at the end of the book, spoiler alert, she's still a part of the Empire. You know, even though we see those cracks starting to happen, it very much leads up to to Battlefront 2. Um, but yeah, I, I just remember immediately texting Lindsay and being like, give me all the spoilers for the game. She's like, are you sure you want that? I'm like, yes, I, I don't want to wait until I can play it. I need to know what happens with Aiden. So... That book for me is is a lot of fun. And I and I think, you know, we're talking about Bad Batch tonight. I think that kind of gets explored a little bit more in the Bad Batch is that idea of of the moral compass and how do we aim that in the right direction. 
So with that in mind, uh, let's go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the first half of season two of The Bad Batch in our classic best in butts format. Go, 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 go! We went over the plan five times. I got the package, didn't I? We need a pickup. Hang on. Grab the light. This is the top team. The rogue clones on the run from the Empire, huh? Hello. How juicy. The Empire's growing stronger. We should be doing more. You want to really be free? Then pull off this heist and you can have a future. Rumors are more and more clones have been questioning the order. Then they're traitors, like the Jedi. You all gave up everything because of me. We made the right choice, Omega. But there are others out there who need our help. What sort of treachery is this? Stay back! What do you need, Rex? Any chance I could use you for a mission? All right, guys, we are back. And with Bad Batch Season 2, one, uh, just being fantastic. It, it, it's the Bad Batch. You know I love it. Um, and, and everybody on the panel tonight enjoys the series. Uh, but with it being 16 episodes long, we thought, you know what? We've got a nice mid-season break here. Let's go ahead and break our best and butts into two parts. So we're going to do part one tonight, uh, covering the first half of the season. And we're going to cover the second half of the season in part two at the end of season two. So, Amanda, since you are the newbie, I'm going to throw you into the fire in our best and butts format. And for those of you who haven't listened... When we do best in butts, it's three things that we don't like, uh, think could be done better, uh, feel like weren't, didn't reach their full potential, anything of that nature. And then our best is your classic uh, top three type list. So, Amanda, starting with your number three, your least egregious on your list, what is your butt number three? Okay, so um, standard caveat, I love Star Wars animation. It's my favorite Star Wars. People ask me what my favorite movie is, and I say Rebels. And then yes. they roll their eyes. So, <laughs> yeah, happens every time. Um, they think I'm being facetious. I'm, I'm not. That's what I, I mean what I say. Um, so, these are kind of nitpicky. Uh, just, just so you know, I love the show. My first one is... If, the dis kind of disjointedness of it, in a sense. I felt like the first season felt a little more cohesive, like you saw them together more often. Um, you could use the word filler episode, maybe. I'm not a fan of that phrase. You could um, not use it also. Some, 
<laughs> I know. It's not. Mm, yeah, I know. It, yeah, I really don't like the phrase because I find a lot of character development in so-called filler episodes. But there were some that just seemed a little bit removed and not quite getting to the story. Big example, where is Crosshair right now? I need me some Crosshair. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah. It is. So I was thinking of something else and I forgot it, but... It's interesting because, like, the episode with Crosshair, I just wanted to be back with the Bad Batch, and now that we're back with the Bad Batch, I'm like, wait, but, but what about Crosshair? So that's one thing that I I wish they would do is do more of that crossover type stuff, you know, do episodes with seeing Crosshair and seeing the Bad Batch. I think that would be really cool. And for what it's worth, we're only halfway through. And I have absolute faith that they will bring these threads back together. I am patient. I can wait. If I'm going to nitpick, I'm going to say these different threads have left me a little bit wanting the characters that we're not seeing currently. But they'll get there. They know what they're doing. Yeah. Devor, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like it's unified or? I was actually going to have a a but that was sort of along the lines of what Amanda was saying because yeah I sort of have that same feeling as she does where it did feel like the first season had a more clear forward momentum in terms of the plot that you had this overarching thing of okay you have the OG Bad Batch but now they've split up they've joined this new member but then they've got one person who's left and now there's this kind of like hunt across the galaxy and then with this season, it's a little bit more, like, less clear of, like, where is the story going? Right. Like, what is the what is the kind of bigger thing that is driving events forward? So I am sort of sympathetic. I was thinking along the same way, but that, then I kind of switched around my butts a little bit. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to what Amanda brings up. And I, I, I wonder if, and again, this is, like, something we're going to need the whole season for. I wonder if it's almost the point is for it to feel disjointed uh, because the Bad Batch themselves are kind of disjointed at this point um, because they they have spent, you know, the entirety of their lives up to these last, you know, five months or whatever the span is supposed to be since Order 66, like having clear directives, knowing exactly what to do. Like basically, even though we, you know, in uh, in season seven, they mentioned that they don't really know who gives them orders, like who they report to. But they worked within a military system. They have these very clear cut ideas of what they're supposed to be doing. And I wonder if kind of this disjointed feeling that it I, I have to say, you know, it, it does feel that way. It feels very adventure of the week, like Mandalorian type stuff, which is not necessarily bad. But it is different from season one. I wonder if that's kind of the point that they're giving us, uh, that kind of content. So we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. So then, Devor, what did make it on your list? What's your butt number three? Yeah, so my three butts are all kind of linked together a little bit. It's sort of like almost in kind of nesting doll fashion where, like, the number three is a kind of big picture observation. Then two is in the middle and then one zooms down further really to like one moment that kind of connects it all together. But my number three but is, and it kind of has to, it's a little bit piggybacking on what Amanda brought up, which is about the nature of the storytelling, at least in the first half of the season, which is that when I did my episode, my, my season one look back on the Bad Batch on my own show, 
I sort of describe the kind of story that Bad Batch is telling as going small to go big, which is to say, like, it starts sort of small. With, like, here are this, like, here's this one group of clones. Here's this, like, little handful of clones that we're looking at. And we're telling their story. But we're using it to go and tell a bigger story about the state of the galaxy in this kind of immediate period after the Clone Wars and the kind of transition from the Republic to the Empire. And I feel like in the first half of this second season, when it has gone big, when it has told the big stories, it's soared. It's told, it has told great big stories so far, and we will get to some of that when we talk to the, the three bests. I think where it has lagged a little bit is when it has gone small and trying to tell those kind of little character stories. And it could be a little measured in my comments here because it's this this really does kind of bleed very close to what my number two butt is. But I'm just thinking particularly about like in comparison to like a show like Andor where, you know, you had the big story about the empire and politics and everything that's going on. But then you had all these little moments where it zoomed in. You had, you know, things like the conversations between Cassian and Nemec on Aldani. You have that intimate moment in the sewer or whatever between Brasso and Cassian, like, you know, uh, Melshi and, and Cassian on the beach. Like, you have these little moments of these characters. And so I think that there is a, a different kind of disconnect that I've been feeling is that when it's been telling the big galactic stories, I think it's been doing great and it's been compelling. But then when it tries to zoom into the characters, I think it has been a little flatter. And I'll get more into that in my number two. I can see where you're coming from, although I don't necessarily agree with it. Because I'm thinking like, I'm thinking of things I'm going to mention in my top um, two episodes in particular that I feel are very character driven and that they did a good job of developing those characters. So I'm not going to say anything quite yet. Cause I, I want to wait and see if they're possibly, uh, the other, uh, eggs in the, the Russian nesting doll. So we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see there. Uh, for me, it is Wanda Sykes. Um, she's <laughs> but number three and, 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 Look, I have nothing wrong with Wanda Sykes being a part of the cast. I am really glad that they cast a person of color to play a person of color and that we don't have to have that conversation um, that shouldn't be had to have in uh, in 2023. So that's a good thing. Um, she's not a an actor or comedian I particularly enjoy one way or the other. Um, I'm cool with bigger names coming into these shows because, you know, they bring these acting chops with them um, that make it feel more real. But all of that said, her voice is just too recognizable for me, and mm. it causes a disconnect with regard to my suspension of disbelief. Um the same thing kind of happened with Freddie Prince Jr. when he returned and did, did the young uh, version of Kanan <laughs> that was just the yeah. older version of Kanan. Um, uh-huh. and, and the character is fine. You know, she's your she's your stereotypical kind of pirate treasure hunter character. Um, I, I don't love her. I don't hate her. Uh, that kind of keeps it firmly at my number three. I, I don't. The character doesn't make up for the disconnect that I feel, um, but also, you know, it doesn't make it terribly egregious. It's just this feeling when I watch where I feel like I'm supposed to be laughing at everything she says, but the stuff she says isn't always funny. And it, 
she does say some funny things, but to me, Wanda Sykes is more of a sitcom laugh track kind of funny where, you know, you have the the studio audience or whatever and you hear them and you kind of feel like a part of the bigger joke. And I don't feel like that in this story that, again, is even if DeVore thinks it's not doing it successfully, it is telling these smaller stories, these more intimate stories um, to build a more grand galactic thing. And in a world where, in a galaxy where we have Hondo, um, who just knocks the comedy out of the park in terms of being a pirate or treasure hunter or whatever we want to call them on that particular day, um, it's hard for anybody to comedically hold a candle to that and so i don't know if the intention was it for her to come in and be comic relief or not um but for me it's just not working and it's primarily i i think if she tried to do not her voice i wouldn't be having this this conversation but it just for me doesn't work um no ill will towards her or the character or anything of that nature it just doesn't work for me yeah i was this is kind of mean but i called her like the budget hondo (laughs) (laughs) just and it's again there's nothing wrong with her when you have that character to compare to yeah it just it falls a little flat and if she they had at least made her an alien character i think i could have handled it a little bit better but to have her look like herself and sound like herself was just a little too... She was on my honorable mentions <laughs> as a as a butt, so... <laughs> a dishonorable She's, mentions. Yeah, true, true. So, agreed. Again, it, like, if she tried to do something to change her voice, we could be having a different conversation. Maybe if it was an alien. Maybe if, you know, it wasn't comedic, you know? Like, You're right. Maybe that would work better, but it does. That's a good way to put it. It feels like a budget Hondo. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that. Like the peril of casting very well-known people in like voice roles is that, yeah, sometimes it can create that effect where it takes you out of it a little bit, especially if they have a very recognizable and distinct voice the way that Wanda Sykes does. Right, like... Like it would be like casting like Cat Williams or something. It's just like you can't you can't mistake who that is, um, right? And and you know, I think we don't hear as you know huge animation fans, but I think the general public kind of sleeps on how uh, diverse and capable voice actors are and the actual mm-hmm. like work that goes into. I mean. Shoot, you look at D. Bradley Baker with those little uh, changes in the clone voices so that your audience can recognize the different clones but also know that they all are the same. And then you take it to the Bad Batch and you do that even more uh, and even more nuanced. And so I, I don't mind bringing in these big name actors or things like that um, to come be a part of the Star Wars galaxy. And Sometimes they do a, a really great job, but just as it stands right now, Wanda Sykes to me doesn't come off as a voice actor um, who is trying to, you know, put some nuance behind that voice and she's just being herself. And, and maybe that's on her. Maybe that's on the director, you know, could be many, many things, but it causes that little bit of disconnect. But 
Anyways, that's my bottom number three. Not that big of a deal. So we'll go ahead and move on from there. And Amanda, I'm going to send it back to you and your number two. Okay. So, um, this can be a problem in media in general, but it's when people act like idiots to further the plot. And as an example of that would be like Chuchi directly confronting Rampart, I thought was ill-advised. Omega going into the war chest. There are reasons, there are story reasons, but they didn't click with me. Um, And then the clone that was also alerting Rampart of his intent to blow the whistle. And this was a guy that you knew had destroyed a planet or the cities on the planet. Like, what makes you think you're going to survive that? You know, I don't know. Um, and the biggest one to me, and it's so nitpicky, it's silly, but non-lethal force. <laughs> I'm not an inherently violent person. I close my eyes at blood. I don't like it. But when you're military trained and you're fighting other military trained and they're coming at you with blasters and you're stunning them, it drives me crazy. I don't know. It's just a little thing, but it, I've been bothered by that since the first season. Hmm. See, that's interesting because to me, it has made me like The Batch more because I connected with season seven Ahsoka going, you know, these men may be willing to die, but I'm not going to be the one to kill them. And right now we're still dealing with clones on clones you know i wonder yeah i mean i could be wrong here but i don't think we've seen the batch face actual stormtroopers yet like i know stormtroopers are coming into to being but they've really just gone against other clones right you're right that's a good point maybe that'll help it going forward (laughs) that's, that's a really good point it's just like, dude, you're being fired at. Fire back. <laughs> but, but it is their, they're right, their brothers. Right. So there is, there's value to that. There's not a whole, whole lot of examples there, but just the little times that things just don't quite. Could you have written that just a little bit tighter just to make it a little bit more believable for me, especially when people are confronting people who are known murderers, basically. Well, the Tucci one I can understand because she's kind of, like, that was kind of her thing in her Clone Wars arc is standing up to authority. Uh, and, you know, I don't remember her from Clone Wars. And, well, I recognized her, but I've got to go b- immediately. I was like, I got to go back. And I forgot to do that. She was part of the arc um, where the I can't remember the species. It's Devor. Do you remember the Talls? The Talls. Yeah, the Talls. They um, destroyed a base and everything in the, the Pantoran governor wants to basically just slaughter them and take over uh, their planet because he thinks it's their right and that they're, you know, non-sentient species or something like that. And she basically is like, nah, fam, we're not doing that. Um, so she was she was really cool in that and, and kind of took over for Anakin and Obi-Wan when they were like, we can't be the ones to solve this. She stepped in and, and did the things that we expect Jedi to do. So... That I that I can understand. Uh, that was probably the least of my examples, yeah. for what it's worth. And I did admire her bravery. 
Sometimes bravery is is uh, idiotic, though. You know, like uh, they can exist at the same time. <laughs> the the clone directly calling out Rampart was the one that really got to me. Like, yeah, you watched this happen. What makes you think you're going to survive this? I I don't understand. You're nothing to him, and you know that. Maybe he, maybe he didn't care. Maybe yeah. that was his line. You know, like yeah. we all have our line and. I thought that was a powerful scene in and of itself just because we we don't see, you know, obviously, like, it's a kid's show. They're not going to show, like, full-on murder. But right, I, I just right. thought the way it was shot from a, a distance, um, the way it's kind of almost mysterious, you know, it, it kind of, again, you know, going back to that word we've been saying of disconnect, but I think that kind of disconnect is important because it's just showing how cold and harsh the empire is at this point. Like even we're what five months into the empire's existence and it's already this cold, terrible monster uh, that murders its own, uh, its own troopers. So Devor, I'm going to send it to you now for your number two. All right. So my number two, but, yeah, like I said, going off a little bit about the number three button, going more to this point about the small stories in the Bad Batch. My number two but is, I feel like with the exception of Omega, I feel like the other members of the titular Bad Batch are still rather static characters. I don't think yet that they have really been pushed all that much, even just on the long sweep of things, the season and a half that we have now had of this show. You know, we have had moments of looking, like shining the spotlight on certain ones of them. Like I'm thinking particularly episode Faster, that's really kind of tech-centric. But even something like that, I'm like, yes, we've kind of put... You know, we get tech in the situation where you're like, he's a racer and he's doing this. It's like, but he's do like he's winning the race by being tech. He's using his brain. So I still feel like, and then it, it expands the others to your wrecker, hunter, and so on. I still feel like they're still fairly flat characters. Again, with the exception of Omega, where they are giving us these moments, like particularly in the episode Tribe with Gunji and all that. I think with the exception of her. I don't think that we've still really evolved the Bad Batch all that much over the course of the show. I can understand that. I think there is a difference in Faster for Tech is season one Tech would have explained his entire plan ahead of time and still executed on it. Mm. Season two Tech doesn't feel the need to explain everything. He just says, trust me, I think he's gained a level of confidence um, in that regard. So I, I think he's a little different. Uh, Hunter, to me, we haven't spent a ton of time with this season, so it's kind of hard to mm-hmm. to judge that. Wrecker, I think you're spot on. I don't think Wrecker's changed really that much at all. I mean, you, if we go all the way back and look at every single line, I'm sure we can see some change, but, but basically pretty flat. Um, and then I think Echo, you know, with removing himself to go fight with the rebellion is probably the one that has had the most growth because he, you know, in in season seven of clone wars, that was about him joining the team, you know, finding his place. And Rex tells him like, if this is where you feel like you belong, go. And I like that. He felt this need to be, you know, rigid. I'm a, I'm a soldier. I belong here. This is my spot. And then, got the freedom to go and he was able to take that empowerment and and 
go in a new direction when he felt that it was the time and he didn't trap himself in kind of the the mindset that he had before with the the republic army of you know this is who i am this is what i do but it's no this is where the need is for me and and i'm able to go there so i like that part uh with regards to echo but yeah i can definitely see um they they all are all about highlighting omega like especially this season seems like it's all about highlighting omega even more so when you have yeah. what six main characters in a show it be, yeah it, it you're definitely going to end up with some flat characters and uh we're, we're going to talk about echo oh, in the future spoiler alert okay we'll just tease okay that a little bit. that's your number two is a lot like my number one so <laughs> interesting interesting well all i'm right. gonna all right i'm cool, gonna give cool, my cool. number two because it does have to do with somebody we were just talking about which is omega the fact that nobody in the Senate building recognizes Omega. That's really weird. I'm totally with you. When, when that moment when they're walking the hall and Rampart shows up, like, oh, they're yes. God. They're going to know. <laughs> like, okay. He literally looks at them. He talks to them. And he doesn't recognize one of the six people whose existence he is trying to squash. It just, it makes no sense. And it is extremely frustrating. And and I was thinking about today and like you could make the arguments that like he has never actually met Omega in person and blah, blah, blah. But like, come on, guys. This is a galaxy where holograms exist. You think he hasn't seen a picture of Omega like, it's not like she looks that different from... Like, she has a different hairstyle. She doesn't look that different from how she looked in season one. Uh, to me, that was just like... How do you... I, I give... I, yeah. I, I really refrain from using plot hole because plot hole has become an excuse for, like, anything that people don't want to think about that's just not directly stated in a sh- movie or show. But that's a that's a plot hole. The best I came up with was the fact that I was eagle-eyeing their interaction, and he never looked down. He was looking up the whole time. That was that's the best I got for you. Yeah, it's weird. No, you 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 hit the nail on the head, Brandon. It's weird. It does not make any sense. I guess I guess for explanation reason, we'll go with he doesn't have peripheral vision. So we'll go with that. We'll go with that. Uh, all right. So Amanda, I'm gonna send it back to you for your number one. Okay, so my number one is um, very much what Devor always already said, and probably better than I can say it. Uh, I said lack of character development to a point where it really stood out to me was at the very end when Echo left. My roommate and I watch it together, and we both were just like, "Where's the impact?" Like we both felt kind of cold at that scene, colder than we should have, and I just feel like it's because we don't. I don't know. It, I. We know these characters, but do we know these characters? It really caused me to think about what would happen if this person died and this person died. And that usually affects me to tears. And I'm like, I don't even know if I would cry. Like, I don't know. And then we also struggle with Hunter and just, okay, what's his special power, so to speak? It's not really on display. Like the things that he's done, it seems like anybody who's had some good survival training could do. And I just don't feel like I know them well enough. It's so funny because it's this diametrically opposed. I care, 
but I don't care at the same time. And Echo left the team. I should care deeply about that. And I didn't. And it's a it's hard to explain it. The way I've kind of wrapped my head around it is I care about the Bad Batch as a whole, but I don't have the same love for the individuals that, that I have for the whole. Um, when you look at like a Rogue One, like I care about all of those individual characters equally or more than I care about the whole unit that they form. Um, even somebody like Bodhi, who doesn't get a ton of character development, a lot of his stuff happens before the movie um and then not much happens for him until you get to uh scarif and then you know you have some good development there with his sacrifice and everything but even if you took that sacrifice out of rogue one like i care about those individuals um significantly and and with the batch you know like I, I love each of the characters and everything like that, and they're fun and everything, but it's not on the same level of what we've gotten before with teams in Star Wars. You know, Star Wars is very much about, you know, these groups. We've got Han, Luke, and Leia. We've got, you know, Anakin and Obi-Wan and Padme. We've got the conglomerate of sequel trilogy characters that are all an interchanging group depending on what point of what movie you're watching. And... So we're kind of trained to care about these groups and these teams when it comes to Star Wars. Um, and we have that with the Bad Batch, in my opinion. But they're, the individuals are, yeah, kind of... We're, we're 24 episodes in. Like, let's... Are we slow burning? How slow are we burning? Because, like, it's a slow, slow burn if it, if it is a burn at all. Well, and I just... I, I, me, I can't help but compare it to Rebels and yeah. Kanan, Kanan wrecked me Yeah. Uh, when Chopper holds Hera's hand. That's when I cried. It wasn't even Kanan's death. It was Chopper that killed me. And I'm not feeling that for these guys. Like, like as, as a whole, I love them and I love the show. Very entertained. But it's not on that deeper level. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. All right, Devor. Lead us into your most egregious, your biggest butt that you cannot lie about. All right. All right. My biggest butt. Amanda teed me up perfectly for this, so I want to thank her for that because my number one butt, the thing that ties back the, the earlier things that I was talking about, about the relatively weaker, smaller storytelling, about the flatter, about the, the relative lack of development of other members of the Bad Batch who are not Omega, the, the one moment that for me crystallizes all that, puts a bow around all that, is the departure of Echo. Because I had the exact same reaction that Amanda and her roommate did, which is like, I did not feel anything to that moment. Because one of the, you know, one of the knocks, particularly from the first season of The Bad Batch, when people were talking about the characters, was Echo kind of feels like he's just there. And that he doesn't really kind of seem to serve a purpose within the, that, that his his role within the Bad Batch and, and what he's playing there isn't well defined. And to me, his departure, we will probably see him again, most likely. Like this will probably be a sort of Sabine-esque moment to do, do the Rebels comparison, where he'll be gone for a little while and then reconnect in some capacity, even if he doesn't fully rejoin. But to me, my in immediate reaction was 
the the departure of Echo was a de facto concession by the writers that they never knew what to do with him because they didn't know how to use him. And so you just you have him leave. And like, that's the kind of moment of, you know, you talked about it as growth, but like the growth is, yeah, like he's not part of the, the group anymore. And I felt like, and the other thing that kind of was bummed me out about it is, is that I felt like they, they started in the second season to have an opportunity for him to play a role because we get that in that two episode premiere where he's like starting to nudge the other bad batch saying like, we need to do more to help the greater galaxy, not just, you know, be doing these missions to like, enrich some shady interests or whatever to get you know loot or whatever like we need to actually be helping the cause so he was starting to get that role of like we got to push towards you know helping out and fighting against the empire and then they take him out of the group they take away that impetus to push the bad batch in new directions now he's going to be off doing that stuff but not connected to the bad batch so yeah i just felt like man like he was he was not well used in the bad batch like as a member of the bad batch his role was not well defined and yeah i feel like there was a sort of concession to that by they just removed him i don't know if i would say it was a concession i i'm with you guys that it didn't feel as impactful as i probably think we the writers intended it to feel or it should feel but if we're gonna make the you know rebels comparison sabine leaving kind of got that crew to care more about the mandalorians and their situation um which got them to you know support and fight for the freedom of mandalore um and and you know the liberation of her father and all of those great things uh great arcs that we got out of that so I feel like maybe they're trying to do a similar thing here where, you know, the reuniting and they see his his growth and how happy he is or or um, how positive the mission is or something like that is what c- kind of is the final straw. But that again, that's a lot of like maybe ifs, which we don't have yet, which, you know, right. uh, we've got to judge it off of just what we have up to this point and to this point yeah it it was just kind of like okay that's it okay see ya so we'll have to see if when and if we uh uh see him again but speaking of somebody we did see again somehow palpatine is returned somehow palpatine returned no 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 and here's the thing here's the thing no 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 listen 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 I like that the fact that Palpatine is making an appearance in the show. And I love getting to see how he sways this paper Senate that exists. Um, I think actually that it's really important that it happens. It's my issue here. And the thing that makes this my number one is not the fact that it is Palpatine uh, showing up. It's the fact that it's Sidious. It's Darth Sidious. This is mere months after Revenge of the Sith, and he shows up looking full Return of the Jedi. And there is a distinction in Revenge of the Sith, a very clear distinction, where he's still, we can see him going in that direction. You know, we've seen him, you know, in the, uh, you know, Sidious getup, you know, with the Trade Federation, everything like, like we've seen it, and we can see the clear connections, but he's still got that imperial or excuse me the the chancellor robe on and and he's got his hood still kind of back and here he is just 
full on in Darth Sidious mode when he should be more Palpatine-esque. So I, I get that you have to get him to appear evil and be the big bad because the kids need to see that. And that's kind of what sends this from like a number two to a number one for me is one of the things I like about Star Wars is that it doesn't talk down to kids. And I feel like this is talking down to kids because it's saying you can't figure out by him just his actions alone or we cannot paint him in a nuanced enough way for you to understand that he is the big bad guy above all the other bad guys. So we're going to just going to make him look super evil. And that feels like talking down to your audience to me. And so I wanted something that was more of a transition, if you will. Like even in Rebels, you know, we see him still presenting that that look of Chancellor Palpatine in that hologram with Ezra. You know, it, it's flashing back and forth because we know who his true self really is this whole time, but he's still hiding that from the galaxy at large. And here it's just full on in display, on display for the Senate. And it just feels like logically speaking and with how crafty Palpatine is that this is just too soon for that. And so I do love Palpatine being back and you know, it, it is, I'll admit it's cool to see him in that get up, you know, the, the dark side, Darth Sidious get up that, you know, we didn't really get the same thing in clone wars when he was appearing as Sidious, but it just, if it was in his office or in a hologram or something else, maybe. But the fact that he's just going out like that in front of the full Senate at a time when he's still consolidating power and he needs the Senate to believe in him. And, you know, maybe not as much as he did before, but he still needs their support to keep, you know, the systems in control. I don't feel like he would show up like that. And so that really just... It bugs me. It really bugs me. So that's my biggest butt. All right. I mean, it obviously, it was, of course, not a butt of mine. But I mean, I think I did have this moment at, at some point, maybe watching it or or afterwards. Where I was like, yeah, what do all these other centers think? I'm just like he's walking around like in all yeah. in black now. <laughs> like, what, like, what is the reaction? Are, do people are, are people just kind of like awkwardly looking over their shoulders or like is everyone just getting hushed tones if he's too close? <laughs> yeah, they're like, <laughs> we made a bad thinking? choice. Well, it's, exactly. it's kind of like like in Rise of Skywalker. I feel like why is he not in like all dark clothes? Like why is he now dressed like the Chancellor again? Like that doesn't what? Why would he do that? Um, like he all of a sudden his clothes magically change. It just yeah. In Star Wars, clothes and appearance can. I mean, it doesn't all media, but especially in Star Wars, like the clothes convey the internal feelings of the character you know we see luke's colors go from white to gray to black as he goes towards the dark side and then you know has to open up from that we see you know vader become entombed in darkness and like obviously vader anakin being two different people is not the same as sidious palpatine being two different people when we talk about that but 
in the way that it is presented to the galaxy, it is. Um, you know, Sidious is still hidden. Sidious is still in the back. And here he's just like, mm, I, it was, I, I don't know. It was laundry day. I don't know. I don't know. Amanda, let's take it to our best list and your number three. Okay, my number three is quite general, but it's just the production value as a whole. From that very first scene mm-hmm. in the first episode, which was in the trailer, uh, but still just the crispness, the beauty, especially on such a colorful beach, but that continues into the darker scenes and the attention to detail, but how it pops in the screen. It's just mm-hmm. like the animation has gone up another notch and they just keep outdoing themselves every time. And I also want to shout out every time I can, I stop for Kevin Kiner because I feel like he doesn't get the love he deserves. <laughs> I love his work and his score. So just the animation and the music is spot on. Both of those I considered putting on my list. Like it, I didn't put the music on the list only because I don't know enough about music to be able to eloquently explain why I love it so much. But it really just feels like Kevin Kiner is just showing off the season. Yeah, it's really good. What I love about, it's not just him either, but what I've noticed with him, because I do listen to a lot of his music at work and things like that when I want something that's doesn't have lyrics to it. I'm worried a kid's going to come in or something like that. And, um, and yes, my kids have varying degrees of hearing, so some of them will hear it. But um, it's the fact that they take those themes and they twist them just a little bit there was one point where I found myself humming along and I was like, wait, I haven't heard this yet. How do I know this melody? And it was because it was the same theme. Just, it was was like, I know this, don't know this, this is awesome. It's new and it's old at the same time and I connect to it because it's old, but I love listening to it because it's new. And I just, I love his music. Really though, like they should win all the awards. Uh, in, in terms of production for this show. Like like I said, I, I wish I understood music enough to be like, oh, he's doing this and this and this. But all I know is Kevin Kiner has me feeling all the feelings. And he should be appreciated more. Uh, Devore, you got anything to, to add there on the, the music aspect of things? You know, I totally agree. It's been really, really good this season in particular. Yeah. I, yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I think he's really been bringing it with awesome. the music. Awesome. All right, so let's go to your number three then. All right, my number three best. This is a very Devore answer, which is that there's been some really great droids in this first half of the oh my season. Oh, my God. It's just been really, really good. Like, I mean, so many of them. You know, you got uh, what is in the episode Faster. You got the droid tail, the racer. He's got the weird little flippy head. His I regret nothing as he dies after getting hit by the racer. You got the Vanguard Axis, the whole smuggling ring, all of whom are droids. And you're like, what? Like, droids who are smugglers? Like, it makes sense. But then you're also like, what are these people doing? Like, they're droids. Like, why do they need a profession? And then, of course, you did not think I was going to get through this discussion of the first half of the Bad Batch without mentioning my lovely, beautiful B1s and their return. Ah, yes. This is their year. They've been in Bad Batch. We have seen them in the Mando Season 3 trailer in that droid bar going to be in jedi survivor always love seeing them yeah there's just been some great droids and don't forget we got commando droids too yeah 
commandos, droidica, super battle droids. Hell yeah. Magna guards. Oh, yeah. It was... We're having a little bit of a Dooku renaissance. Maybe we're having a droid renaissance. Maybe it's yeah. just a separatist renaissance yes. happening oh, right yeah. now. Yeah. Can I just say, I love droids too. It's one, but I'm going to call you out on that Teo thing. Drove me crazy. <laughs> and then I, <laughs> I hated him so much. Uh, but this point, that's the point of his character. So they did a good job. But I did look up who was his voice. And for anybody who watches Parks and Rec, it's John Ralphio. Yeah. So it all makes sense to me now. Um, but yes, droids are awesome on point. But like, okay, sorry to go back to my, uh, uh, but about Wanda Sykes, the Ben Schwartz showing up and doing that and he's doing a John Ralphio. He's just doing it differently works really well, but I'm going to, I'm going to refrain from saying anything further until further (laughs) notice. Um, all right. So for me, you know, I've got to go with a very Brandon answer. Um, I'm going with Gunji. Gunji <laughs> is back. I'm loving it. Um, it's, it's, it's just that. It's, it's, he's the best. Uh, I loved him the moment I saw him. I loved him even more after seeing him make his lightsaber. And I love him even more now than ever. Like, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Um, this was on the list before we even started watching uh, the, the episodes. And then the episodes just made it even better. Because we get to see um, him take what he learned from Ahsoka and during that journey to get his kyber crystal. Uh, and one of those lessons, the main one actually, being patience you know he has to sit and wait for um the ice to to form so that he can walk over um to get his kyber crystal and he's very impatient and he learns that and he's able to apply that skill post order 66 to be able to survive you know like he he under like he understands that he's able to see the bigger picture now because he's been in the in a challenging situation where just jumping to a conclusion made the situation worse. And so he's had to, to learn and grow from that. So that's really cool. Uh, but then I also really like that, and, and this might be the most important thing uh, about the, the whole conversation around Gunji, is that we got to see a Jedi who needs to be rescued rather than a mm. Jedi who is the savior. And we haven't really had too many places where that happens before. We have... In the Clone Wars, we have Ahsoka rescuing those younglings on the planet um, where the Trandoshans are are hunting them for sport. But that's a Jedi saving other Jedi. So I kind of feel like that's disqualified. Other than that, I think you got to go like all the way back to Empire Strikes Back where Leia picks up Luke uh, after he gets his butt whooped by Vader. But even that's a pickup and it's not like taking him into and rescuing him from a situation. It's just more escaping uh so it was really refreshing to be able to see that and especially to be able to see that and and have them do that with a character that is beloved you know like everybody loves gunji um he's he's a big fan favorite but then also to take that and develop it and challenge uh the ideas of the jedi by bringing him back to his wookie culture and like the little moments like when he watches the elders to see what they're going to do like with the tree and and stuff he knows what he's supposed to do cuz he he 
knows of his culture, but he doesn't know what he's supposed to do because he's never lived there. He's never yeah. actually done it. He, I'm sure he's read about it in books, but and, and the Wookiees are an important culture to the galaxy. So I'm sure, you know, he's taken time in the archives and learned about them, but he's never experienced it. And, you know, we kind of have that, uh, you know, Chewbacca is, is, you know, George's dog kind of thing gives us the idea that Wookiees are like are like dogs, you know, and you can see in his eyes kind of like when a dog is looking up, asking for permission, trying to figure out like, all right, we're in this new situation. What are my parameters? What am I allowed to do? I'm off leash. What do I get to do now? And we kind of see that with Gunji in terms of, okay, I'm I'm technically like I'm a Jedi, but the Jedi don't exist anymore. So now I'm back with being a Wookiee, but like, I don't know how to do that. And so he's looking around trying to find some, some encouragement and stuff. And just the, the warmness of the Wookiee culture, you know, was really exciting to see because we've seen their warrior side, you know, in Revenge of the Sith. And, and we've obviously spent a lot of time with Chewbacca, but I mean, this is the most time we've got to spend actually exploring their culture since the holiday special. So, like, that's a, a big deal. So just everything about it, the opportunities that it provided, all of that stuff. And coming into the season, I was expecting uh, Gunji to become a major player in the series. Um, so I was looking forward to that. I don't think that's going to happen and yet this episode and, and his character and everything I just discussed was executed so perfectly that I'm totally okay with it being a one and done. And we just move on from there. And this was the mission. And this is what we got. And it, I just absolutely loved it. Yeah, it, w it was really great both to kind of see him back as a character and then also the way that he was used and the story that gets told. And yeah, as you mentioned the the things that we get to learn about the Wookiees and about their culture and about Kashyyyk. One of two returning fan favorite characters who are used very well, which I will get into more in a little bit. But yes, I, I really, I was, I was excited too with a lot of other people when we first saw him in the trailer. And yeah, I, I think the story that got told there you know, linking it to sort of the Bad Batch's own journey of like these, you know, both Jedi and clones being these two groups that had once had a kind of defined place in this galaxy, but now have to sort of reinvent themselves. That kind of parallel mirror journey, I think, was really great to see. And yeah, the kind of con the connection of Gunji and Omega as these two kids in particular having to grow up in the midst of all of this war and turmoil and not being to just get to be just regular kids and have a regular life right very and, poignant. and it parallels omega's journey in season one you know like uh to me the probably the most powerful moment with her in season one is when she touches the dirt and she's like what is this mm -hmm. um that's that that's you know gunji figuring out how to, you know, put his head against the tree to sense the, the needs of the tree. Just, yeah, no, it, it's spot on. It's everything. I love it. So, Amanda, uh, I'm going to send it back to you for your number two. And uh, let us know why it's Gunji. <laughs> that was a consideration. Actually, the Wookiee culture, 
as a whole. I just really loved that glimpse that yeah. I hadn't seen before. Um, but while you make some very good points, my number two is actually somehow Palpatine returns. <laughs> <laughs> somehow Palpatine returns. I just, I mean, it's one of those things where as it was happening, I was like, I should have seen this. And I put it together, but only seconds before, and I felt like an idiot, but in the best way possible. Like, of course, of course this was all planned. Everything is always planned. <laughs> like, how does he even do this? And it, I just, I love the evil brilliance of it all and how it all comes together. And for me, it was unexpected, even when it probably shouldn't have been. And it just took me away and it ended the episode right where I wanted it to. Well, it didn't end it, end it, but. Devor, I've got this weird feeling that it's your number two. Not my number two, but we will circle back to that moment. Oh, Oh, that's fantastic. (laughs) Well, since you're gonna add more on it later and I've already said my piece, I'll go ahead and give it to you for your number two and uh, we'll circle back. So my number two is just the entirety of the episode, The Solitary Clone. But in particular, the relationship and the mini-story that we get between Crosshair and Cody. So, you know, you, you just talked about Gunji as this kind of returning character and the brilliant ways that he was used in the story. I think Cody was also used very well in the, at least so far, one episode that we've seen him. Will we see him again? Possibly. We'll find out. But at least judging just from what we have now, I think you get some just great little moments there between them. Like the first time that they reconnect in front of that, you know, the the war memorial mural thing that they're there. And Crosshair makes that comment of like, wow, Cody, I almost didn't recognize you. Like that comment being something that has like all these layers where it's like, on the one hand, it's, you know, there's the surface level observation of Cody's in different armor. He's not in the orange and white anymore. He's in this gray and white, even though he still got the same, you know, like uh, the same helmet and all the other kind of, you know, enhancements to his armor. But then there's like the deeper level of that comment about like, now it's Imperial Cody and like these are different people and they're occupying this different role in this new empire. So they're un- in that way kind of unrecognizable from their old Republic selves. And then, of course, the adventure that they go on, which, you know, Brandon and I, you and I talked about this a little bit the last time you and I were on the podcast. I'm like how so much of that episode feels like a Clone Wars classic adventure episode of, you know, like here's this separatist place and we got to break into it and capture them. But then it ends so different with the confrontation where Cody is willing to put down arms and talk. And then it's Crosshair who makes the kill shot. And then the arrival of the stormtroopers and then that final scene, that conversation when they're back at the war memorial and they're talking about the empire and whether it's right to serve it. And once again, like a line that has layers where Cody, he says something that I don't have the exact, but the paraphrase is something like the thing that makes us different from battle droids is like, you know, we make our own choice and decisions and we have to live with it. He says something to that effect. And, you know, on first watch or first listen, you listen to that like, okay, yeah, that's just like some, it's some pat line about like the difference between, you know, being a droid and being an organic person. But then you pause and you think about that line and you think about who's saying it and you're like, oh, he's been thinking about Utapau. He's been thinking about him mm. turning his gun on 
his Jedi general. Like he, like he, when he's talking about we make our choices and we have to live with them, that's like he's been waking up in the middle of the night thinking about Obi Wan and what happened. Yeah, that's a really good point. Especially, you know, it's come out that like Cody was gonna be a part of the Kenobi series at one point, and so the creative think tank at Lucasfilm has been thinking about you know, what the consequences of of Cody's actions were and how, you know, like in Revenge of the Sith, we get it. It's just like a flip of a switch and the clones take them out and then ta-da, story's over. And if you just watch the movies, you never consider the psychological impact that that would have on on somebody. Um, And we get to see it now. And that is, yeah, it's really cool. And you gave the right answer because solitary clone is my number two <laughs> as well. So I, I love it equally. I do think a hundred percent it's like a clone wars episode, but I also think it's got a taste of, uh, the honorable ones from rebels mm, where, yes, 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 yes. You know, we, we kind of get the same stuff with callous, you know, going on a mission and then coming back and being all alone and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, having to work with somebody whose morals are, again, not the same, or, but equally valid and pointed in one in the right direction, one in the wrong direction kind of thing. Um, just everything about this episode works for me from the script to the music to everything else. But I'll shorthand it and say I agree with everything that DeVore had to say and then really focus in on that last moment you were talking about because it's actually after the conversation um, is the part that I love because Cody leaves and we see Crosshair standing alone in front of this clone memorial and he's standing there alone framed right in between the light and the dark, which is just (laughs) visually gorgeous but also thematically so important uh, because... I mean, come on. We're getting Crosshair's redemption. Um, It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know if they're going to go with the same old uh, he sacrifices his life kind of situation or what. But I think if anything, this episode just solidified that we are getting a Crosshair redemption, which I, as always, am definitely here for and super excited about. But just... Going back to, you know, what I talked about with not talking down to the audience, I think a shot like that, a conversation like that, that is how you do it where you don't talk down to your audience and you expect, um, you know, kids to be able to pick up on these deeper themes and these struggles that characters go through because even kids have had to deal with, they may not have fought in a war, but they've had to deal with consequences of their actions. They've had to deal with, knowing what the right thing to do is, but knowing what the easy path is or knowing what Mm -hmm. they want to do. Um, And Solitary Clone is just that through the entire episode. Like It's very clear what right and wrong is throughout the whole episode. And yet all the characters that we care about and are invested in are swaying in between those two sides. Like even the governor of Desix, like we consider her... She was a separatist who, you know, is in the the Clone Wars and the prequel trilogy, the quote unquote bad guys. And but she's doing the right thing. But she was a bad guy. But now she's a good guy. Like, it's all very 
unsettling and confusing in a good way to where it challenges you to think about, okay, when our societies are changing, and, and personally, I feel like we're in a, a time period of that right now, and you know what you believe in, how do you adapt to the new times when the new times don't fit with what you believe in? And we have to be able to do that because that's just the right thing to do and that's how we survive and that's how we you know value other people and and stuff but we uh we get that throughout the entirety of the solitary clone and it's just it's so insanely powerful that uh i mean i can't get over it i can't get over it it's just so good yeah exactly and it does you know the classic star wars thing of the title that has multiple meanings. You know, the solitary clone is both Crosshair and Cody. It applies yeah. equally to both of them. To me, I think that really even speaks more to the clones overall because we, we have that moment in the beginning where they're talking about um, the, the act that uh, is going to get passed, that the clones are like, uh, let's hope for our sake it doesn't get passed. The clones themselves are solitary like they're mm -hmm. still thought of as other and then you've got crosshair who's even an other amongst the others uh which is it, it's just the nuance of it is really powerful and going back to what amanda was saying earlier about not having enough crosshair it's really sad that that's the only time that we see crosshair because it's in possibly the best episode of the season so far so all right, Amanda, send it to your number one. I will say that I had considered Solitary Clone. Um, had hoped that one of you at least would pick it up. Uh, figured somebody here would get it, so I would try to go a different direction. This is probably... I'm going to try something new and be succinct. It's not my skill set. But my number one positive is that I am so into this show, I'm not noticing the cons, the buts. It took an hour-long conversation with my roommate to pick it apart and find things to talk about tonight because I just love it that much. And I'm not thinking about it. I'm just in the moment and enjoying it. That's an underrated thing when it comes to entertainment. You know, and... and I'm not going to sit here like I'm not guilty of this, but we overanalyze and yes. dig deep into <laughs> yes. things and yes. stuff like that. And sometimes it's okay to just have a good time. And that's what I feel like the show is. And it is geared towards children in a lot of ways, but also adults. It really walks that line. And yeah. it's just fun. And it also makes you think, but it's also fun. Yeah. Well, and okay. So, Devor, I'm I'm going to come back to you for your number one okay. because this goes perfectly with my number one, right. uh, which is something that I find just to be a whole lot of fun, and it's th my number one on the list simply because of that, and it is Teo and all of the episode faster. <laughs> I love that freaking droid, Amanda. You shut your mouth. I don't want to hear anything. Uh, Curse my muted mic. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, y'all know I love Star Wars being tragedy. I love it being thematic. I love it being all those things that we clash about on the show. But Star Wars is fun, and this is just fun. Um, I was going to say that I would dare anyone to watch this episode and not fall in love with Teo, but apparently somebody had the balls to do that. So... 
So I have a bit of Drew in me, and when I have an unpopular opinion, <laughs> it's I rarely don't like things. Rarely. I am a like-to-love person, and when I don't, you can almost bank on it being unpopular. So I, hi, Drew. I, I, I was going to say, I approve of throwing shade at Drew on an episode he is not on. You are now officially a member of Clashing Sabers. Oh, gosh. I write him hard about Ronan all the time. I know. I know. <laughs> um, no, but like, okay. The faster in and of itself is a, a lot of fun. But there's also, there's there's overarching story. There's character development with Tech and Sid. Uh, but... At the end of the day, this episode is going to be one I watch because Teo is just so freaking fun. I regret nothing. <laughs> uh, so just, it's so good. Or uh, when he wakes up, where are my arms and legs? It's just, it. it's comedic gold. Uh, Riot Racing is fun personified. And I just had a damn good time watching this episode. The riot race, or not the riot, the um, regret nothing line was my favorite part. But was that because he was off my screen? I couldn't tell you. I was laughing and also happy. <laughs> so feelings are hard to pick apart sometimes. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So, all right, Devor, we kind of know what your number one is, mm-hmm. but go ahead. Yeah, my number one is, in very anticlimactic fashion, it is the scene in the Senate when... Ryochuchi goes to present the evidence of Rampart's role in the destruction of Kamino. That whole, everything that happens in there. So I'm going to talk about the couple of things that I I really love about this moment and the things that I think about it that really work. One of them, the first thing I want to talk about is the Palpatine of it all. Somehow Palpatine returned. We knew really from the first celebration trailer that Palpatine was going to be in the show. And I think he was also in the general release trailer. I think they use that same scene. When, you know, when clone conspiracy kind of started and was going through and it was clear, okay, this is all going to be set in Coruscant. I was like, I had sort of just naturally assumed that, oh, Palpatine was probably going to be an end of season kind of thing that was thrown in. But then once it became clear that all of this whole two-parter was going to be more or less set on Coruscant, I'm like, oh, okay, we're going to see him at some point. So it's going to happen. Despite all that, despite having that kind of pre-knowledge from the trailers and, you know, having that anticipation of, oh, okay, he's going to pop up at some point in this mid-season two-parter, that moment when the hollow footage stops and that little siren starts blaring and his podium starts coming up, the physical reaction I had sitting on my couch at like six whatever in the morning of feeling my blood literally stopping in my veins and just going cold as he just shows up was so powerful. And, you know, I think in the prior episode, we see another Senate session and uh, Chuchi alludes to the fact that Palpatine doesn't really show up at the Senate anymore. And you have that glance back and forth between Bale and Raya where they're like, oh, he's here. Like, What's about to happen? He never shows up. So there's just that effect that they that they are able to just create with that scene and that character. And then, you know, what he does there, the way that that gets turned against Rampart. And, like, Rampart is such a compelling character in The Bad Batch because he's a character that just really fits for this time in the sense of – in terms of the, the time of this galaxy where, like, he's this sort of young, ambitious – power hungry and he wants to be climbing the ladder he's trying to kind of position himself in this new order 
but then ultimately becomes a victim of this beast that he is, you know, helping to, you know, serve when he is ultimately made the patsy for this attack. I thought like, that was just also really brilliant. Like I sort of compared in terms of like real world analog, like it's sort of like Ernst Rome in Nazi Germany where like he was this, like he was sort of the head of the SA, which was the kind of German paramilitary. And then once the Nazis sort of take power, he starts kind of accumulating power and sort of positioning himself and the SA as this kind of power base. And then Hitler ultimately because he sees him as a threat to his own position, he ends up framing him and, and purging him in the Night of the Long Knives and sort of sets up this fake evidence that he was going to lead this kind of coup against Hitler and the Nazis and then has him eliminated and has him kind of neutered as a threat. And like that's exactly what happens to Rampart here. He is made to be the fall guy for what happens on Camino and he is felled you know, in this great fashion. And yeah, just the the way that that Palpatine just kind of takes this moment where you like it's set up as like a gotcha, and then he just immediately turns it and uses it in his own agenda and uses it to just push aside this this guy and then to you know make the case for what they wanted to do anyway, which is this new recruitment bill. Like that, I think was just really compelling. And I think that to the sort of final point about what makes that scene so powerful is like. One of the things that people were talking about a lot when Andor was airing was like the way that the kind of commentary that it was doing was very much Star Wars speaking to our time. And I think this example and this scene is an example of the Bad Batch speaking to our time where the whole plot of, you know, what Chuchi and, you know, Bail Organa are doing is this thought of like, okay, if we just you know, if we just marshal the facts and the evidence and we present it and we, you know, we use logic and reason, then we're going to beat the fascists this way. If we just give them the, the undeniable proof that nobody can, you know, equivocate from or do whatever, and we just present it out there like we're, we're going to beat them. But then like the, the fascists are slippery. They're just going to they're going to take those facts and use evidence and they're just going to twist it and turn it and then use it to serve their own agenda. Like, I think that kind of the, the, the failure there with Chuchi and Organa, I think is speaking in a lot of ways to a lot of contemporary things happening now about sort of, you know, authoritarian and authoritarian-esque politicians and how do you respond and how do you deal with them and the ways that like some things that you think are going to work. That's like, okay, if we just get the smoking gun and we present it out there and it's undeniable hard proof, then like, well, we got him and we'll beat him. And it's like, it's not enough. So, yeah. That's my number one best. It's such a great scene. The scene overall, my my Palpatine nitpick aside, is absolutely fantastic. Um, like, it's a sit up straight in your chair, pay attention scene. And I haven't had the chance to revisit uh, the mid season finale episodes yet. I'm reworking my way through the entirety of of the first half of the season while we wait for for the second part but everything i remember about that scene just works it it does work really well um palpatine here's here's what i wonder because i've listened to both of you talk about this do you think that this was palpatine playing the long game and he knew he was going to 
frame ramp art for everything happening on Camino and, and such uh, ahead of time? Or do you think he took advantage of an opportune situation? I think they want us to think that it's his long game. What do I think? I, I'd have to ponder that. Yeah, it, it's it's tough. Yeah, because that's one of the things really as Palpatine is a character throughout Star Wars is trying to figure out to what extent is he a, a grand planner and to what extent is he an improviser? I think he is... The way that I would kind of split the baby, I guess, is that like he's always got the plan B, C, D there. So I think there was probably the idea that Maybe he didn't think that he was going to throw Rampart under the bus at that exact moment. But that there was a thing like, oh, if the truth in some way or another gets out, then the plan is going to be, yes, we're going to frame him as this rogue element within the Empire who just went off and did his own thing. So did he know it was going to happen then? No. But I think he does. Palpatine, I think, is someone who very clearly always tries to set himself up in what he thinks are going to be no-lose scenarios for him. Like if you think about in, let's say, the throne room in Return of the, uh, Return of the Jedi, you know, he's sitting there thinking like, okay, either Luke wins and Vader dies, in which case then I get the brand shiny new apprentice, or Vader wins, Luke dies, in which case then I guess I'm still stuck with Vader for a little while, but either way I kind of win. Yeah. So I think he's always trying to position himself in that way, which is like, the operational plan is we're going we're gonna to sweep Camino under the rug. No one's going to talk about it. We're going to have this cover story of it was a storm, and we're going to get everyone to believe that. But if it somehow gets out, then we have, we're, the pieces are in place that, okay, we're just going to say here, it was this bad apple. It was this rogue element. He was acting on his own volition, and then we're just going to you know, throw him out there to be the patsy. I feel like... You know how Mace Windu has like the Shatterpoint ability where he can see exactly what's going to break somebody or what the breaking of a situation is going to be? If we imagine Mace Windu is able to identify that point, I think if you think about it like a pane of glass, Palpatine is able to identify all the other cracks. Like he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen, but he knows all or at least the majority of the possibilities of what could come. And so that's to me is what makes him so crafty uh, and capable and honestly terrifying. Yeah. Like, like when you were talking about like the, you know, the chancellor versus emperor and like the way that he presents and talks like that moment when he kind of starts talking in that scene, when he's like, I am deeply troubled by the events and communal has the exact same cadence and just you know like presentation as it is with great reluctance that i have agreed to this calling you know in an mm. attack of the clones it's that same where you're like you're watching and you're like oh I'm like dude 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 like you're so full of it like you know you of course are like this is exactly what you wanted him but it's it's that same like the you know you as the viewer you just see the insincerity that's like right below the surface but he's just playing it so well it's funny that it reminded you of that because it reminded me of the the attack of the Jedi has left me scarred yes. and disformed. <laughs> like, just like, oh my God, feel bad for me. I'm the emperor and, and somebody is doing something against my will, even though it was exactly what I wanted. Oh, woe is me. That's what we get with Palpatine. So I hope we get some more of him in this season. I, I know some people are tired of, of all the Palpatine stuff, but I... 
I think at this point in the galaxy and the timeline and everything like that, you've, it'll be interesting to get more of what's going on with him um, post-Order 66 because we really don't have a ton of stuff about him and what he was doing until we from Order 66 until we get to, um, you know, his appearance in Rebels, and then it jumps to, like, Empire Strikes Back. So even though we know, you know, technically, like, what he was doing, we don't have a ton of actual events that we can fill in, uh, or rather that are filled in, and, and there's a lot of potential there. So we'll have to see, and we'll come back. If, if he's back in Season 2, we will be back here discussing it. You can bet that here on the Clashing Sabres podcast. So like I said, we're going to have a part two of this where we do a best in butts for uh, the second part of the season. But uh, you can make sure you, you get that in your feed by just subscribing. Just click that subscribe button and you will get that in your feed. Plus Forever Star Wars, Don't Burn the Sacred Text, all kinds of stuff. Um, and if you want even more content, you can join our Patreon. Like I said, uh, Amanda is going to be working on that and bringing some great new content to that platform. And you get that and you're able to put books into the hands of kids. So all of those links that you need along with all of our social networking links, both for for us as a whole and all of the individuals involved here in Clashing Savers will be there for you. But if they don't want to just click a button and go, Amanda, tell them where they can find you hanging out on the interwebs. I am primarily on Facebook and I have really been working on trying to get conversations going. I, I love a good meme. So there might've been a few of those shared recently. Just come talk. That's the fun part is talking about the thing that we love. Over on our Facebook group is where a lot of that conversation happens. So uh, make sure you join in on that. And DeVore, tell them uh, what you're working on and everything about a larger view of the Force, which you can also get on the Clashing Sabres feed, uh, and what you've got coming up. Yeah, so you can listen to a larger view of the Force both here on the Clashing Sabers feed, and then also you can listen all to the whole back catalog of episodes just on the on the regular A Larger View of the Force feed that you can find out, you know, wherever you're listening to this podcast, whatever podcatcher you're using. So yeah, go check that out. Should hopefully have a have a new episode coming out soon. I got an idea about to do an episode that's sort of centered on this idea of droid rights that I've been wanting to do for a long time. So you look for that in hopefully in the not too distant future. Awesome. And until that comes out, we'll just have to uh, wait on Bad Batch. But, you know, if we're being honest, we didn't talk about this tonight, guys. The Bad Batch is not the best batch in, in Star Wars. The best batch in Star Wars is Batch 8. hi oh, Amanda, that's your cue. What's my cue? I don't know my cue. Say I'm hi-o. new here. Say hi ho. Hi ho, hi ho. What am I doing? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm gonna be so much better by the time I work out these tech issues I've been facing. <laughs> I work gonna get some great stuff out there. All Clashing Sabres productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabres Network and ClashingSabres.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabres.net. 
For questions or inquiries, please email us at clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away?